Thank you, Dr. Haberchak, and thank you folks for being here. I want to welcome Sarah Freeman, who is watching us online in Rwanda. also want to welcome the Becks, uh, missionaries to Cherokee, who are watching us today. So uh, maybe when we're done, you can get in front of the camera and say hi, okay? Uh, before I begin, I want to talk about briefly kind of how we're approaching the next few weeks. Obviously, we're watching and, and taking seriously the recommendations of our civil leaders, um, with some exception. Obviously, they've asked us not to hold church, and um, that's just something we're not willing to accommodate. But we're trying to thin the, the crowd. So when you do come, if you do next week, uh, again, do what you're doing. Kind of sit sparsely throughout the sanctuary. There are um, germex ports out there that you can use. Don't shake hands. Don't greet another with a, a holy kiss, okay? Uh, let's practice uh, some measure of safety and concern. Um, I want to also encourage you as we move forward, we're, gonna, we're not going to have our youth activities, which includes D groups, um, which includes our, uh, you know, our, our Sunday night and Wednesday night activities. Obviously, we're not having children's ministry activities. Some of our Women's gatherings are going to be canceled uh, as we kind of participate in, in lowering the viral curve. And so join us with that. I know it's frustrating. I know it's difficult. Um, but uh, this is important for our community. Uh, this includes your life groups, really any group that's over five, six people and you can't disperse in a, in a room you need to not meet, and we're, as, a, as a session, we're asking you not to meet. Um, you can do it over the phone. You can do it over WhatsApp or Skype. There's a lot of options, so uh, consider those. And we'll keep you updated. Make sure and look at the webpage. Make sure and look at Facebook. Uh, lots of ways for you to get the information of what we're doing next to help combat the spread of the coronavirus. If you would, in your Bibles, please, to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. Uh, the theme is Jonah is being confronted by grace. I want to remind you that Jonah is not the primary audience. Uh, Jonah represents Israel. The letter that was being written, this experience that this prophet went through, I believe was fully real, but it is meant, it is God giving an illustration to his people. And so when a, a great interpretive key in the book of Jonah is to ask, what is God saying to Israel? What is God saying to his people? How does this confront Israel with God's love and faithfulness? So with that in mind, uh, let me remind you, we started with verse uh, chapter 4 and verse 2, where Jonah recounts the goodness and mercy of God recounts God's grace, calls him Lord, and you notice it's in all caps because that's Israel's covenantal name for God. And then we considered uh, chapter 1, we considered Jonah, the folly of Jonah trying to run from the presence of God. Uh, and then following in the next paragraph, how God brings a storm and confronts Israel's idolatry by placing God on the same level as the sailors' deities. The deities that they were worshiping. The, the captain comes out and says, call out to your deity, as though he's equal to. 
And so in this text, we're going to see God say, let me remind Israel, Jonah, let me remind you who I am. And it's going to come out in the conversations what God is doing. So let's read the text together. Uh, You can see it on the screen or you can follow along in your Bibles. It's Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 16. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the heaven and the dry land. Notice how Jonah just in that little verse says God is the God of all the gods. Uh, He's created the heavens so the gods that you worship in the sky, they are his. They, They submit to him. Uh, He's created the earth and the sea, and if you worship deities of fertility or the sea gods, let me tell you, he's over them. So he is claiming God's superiority, much like Paul does when he confronts the deities and the pagan idolatry in the book of Acts. He's not saying these are real real deities, but he is exalting God over all the imaginations of men. And so Jonah tells them, Uh, I am a Hebrew. Notice he leads with his race. I fear the Lord, his religion, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord... O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So what's the message of this text? I firmly believe God is preaching the gospel to his people. At its heart, what the gospel is, is the confrontation of God declaring us guilty of our sin, in need of a Savior, and then God providing that for us. Let's see if if we can bring that out or if that's obvious in the text because the text is what matters to us. First, as a good father, see how God confronts his children. Notice some things in the text. Number one, the lot fell on Jonah. Proverbs 16.33, the author, probably Solomon, says the lot is cast in the lap 
but the decision is of the Lord. That means that you could take the most foolish way to make a decision, flip a coin. Heads, I go to Stanford. Tails, I go to UNG. And it comes up tails, and you stick to that decision. The Scripture tells us the most foolish way to make a decision, the decision still comes from the Lord. That's sovereignty. But in this case, this is identification. Notice what happens. The sailors are panicking. Put yourself on a boat. I'm seasick just thinking about it. It's rocking. The waves are coming over. Remember the text personifies the boat. The boat is making a threat to the sailors. I'm about to break up, guys. So they're casting the cargo over and they have the sense that something, some deity has been ticked off. And so they're going to cast lots and find out who's responsible. They cast lots and they figure out it's Jonah. That is not accidental. It's not accidental. And what it's, what's happening is the same thing that happens in the book of Obadiah that I mentioned last week. God looks at the sailors and knows exactly who's responsible. And God points him out. Same thing happens in Obadiah. All these armies are attacking Israel and God zeroes in and speaks specifically to the Edomites, Esau's descendants. There's no hiding from the presence of God. And God calls Jonah into account. It's not, the, the, it's not God who needed to know who was responsible. It's the sailors who needed to know who was responsible. And it's Jonah who needs to be confronted with his responsibility. Secondly, look at the question. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. Who's responsible? Now, Jonah knows he's responsible. He's hiding that fact. Who needs to hear that they're responsible for the things that are coming upon them? Jonah knows it's the audience that God has in mind that needs to know. God is confronting Israel. He's asking Israel the very question that these sailors are asking Jonah. Who's responsible? Finally, what is this that you have done? It's as if God is saying to his people, what have you done? Think about what you have done. Think about why you're in this situation, Israel. Think about why this calamity of the Assyrian Empire has come upon you. We learned last week it was because of their idolatry. They're running from the Lord. What is God doing? God is challenging Jonah and the main audience, Israel, to stop blaming others and to deal with God. Stop blaming others and deal with God. Jonah had a distorted view of himself. Jonah had a distorted view of God. Jonah is blame-shifting, he's minimizing, he's excusing his own sin. This guy right now is running from God as though he can escape. And somehow, he doesn't see it. This is God's prophet to Israel. Israel is engaged in idolatry. There are, there are pagan deities that are being worshipped, and they've gone even farther and taken the name of God and attached it to false gods and idols and places of sacrifice. 
to go up into northern Israel and visit the town of Dan, the Tell of Dan, where there is an, an altar where Israel worshipped Jehovah inappropriately and in the wrong place. They had turned God into another deity. And so, how can Jonah overlook this? He's blind. He's blind to his own sin. He's blind to Israel's sin. He's excusing it. He's, he's, you notice his, he leads with his racial identity. I'm a Hebrew. As though that did anything. As though that meant anything. As though that somehow turned and twisted the arm of God. His self-righteousness comes out. His diminishment of other people. His diminishment of other races. Somehow Jonah thought he was even better than these sailors who were trying to save his life. His equality with God. He, he considers himself equal with God instead of humble before the Lord. As Packer says, he's an image user, not an image bearer. You see the arrogance and the lack of humility that's coming out in the heart and the life of Jonah. And God is confronting Israel. God is confronting Israel through Jonah. Who's responsible? Folks, this is, this is at the heart of, of how we live. And this is what idolatry does. Idolatry blinds us to who we are before the Lord. I'm going to read from Tim Keller his book, The Prodigal Prophet. This is what Keller says. Shallow Christian identities explain why professing Christians can be racists, greedy materialists, addicted to beauty and pleasure, or filled with anxiety and prone to overwork. And we could probably add toilet paper hoarders and food hoarders, shallow Christian identities. All this because it's not Christ's love, but the world's power, approval, comfort, and control that are all the real roots of our self-identity. A shallow identity is also one that prevents us from truly seeing ourselves. Here is Jonah, a prophet of God, with a privileged position in the covenant community who is at every turn obtuse, self-absorbed, bigoted, and foolish. It's not just Jonah. It's Israel. It's the people of God. Jonah is just representing. And so God confronts Israel and he says, stop do business with me. Stop blaming others. Stop blaming the non-believers for your problems. Stop blaming what, what governmental officials are doing. Stop believing that if you just had power, you could make it right. Stop. Let's do business. Let's talk. Let's reconnect. Let's remember who you are and remember who I am. And that's exactly what he does next. God reminds Israel of his greatness 
and of his grace, his kindness, his goodness. Look at some things in the text. Number one, Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. Every Jew reading this book would, would say, yes, I'm a Hebrew. That's a special position with the Lord. I fear the Lord, he says. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. These are all clues on God addressing Israel. What is God saying to Israel? Remember who you are to me. Remember who I am to you. This is covenantal language. This is covenantal interaction. This is the reconnection after a trip to India where I say to my wife, in essence, remember who I am to you and remember who you are to me. I tell her how much I love her. I tell her how much I've missed her. I hug my children. Now I wouldn't be able to do that. I'd have to give them knuckle bumps or something like that. But I mean, we reconnect. We reorient ourselves to who we are to each other. We kiss. We hug. We we share. We re-engage in relationship. And through this narrative, God is calling out to Israel and he's reminding them of who he is. He is the God of heaven. He is the one who created the the earth and and the seas. He is the one who controls these things. And I would say to you, remember who he is. He is the sovereign Lord who oversees every aspect of your life today. Even whether you can find sanitizer or not. Every aspect of our lives is under the providential hand of God. Remember who He is. But don't just remember who He is. Remember who you are to Him. You are His people. He loves you. They were Hebrews by God's making. God established the Hebrew nation. God established them as His people. I'm going to quote it all through this series. Remember what God says in Deuteronomy. I didn't set my love on you. Deuteronomy chapter 7. God says, I didn't set my love on you or choose you because of who you were. I did it because of who I am. Folks, there's nothing like a trial to make us ask who God is and who we are to Him. That's exactly what Israel needed to hear. Is God saying, remember who I am. I'm, I'm not these idols that you've been worshiping. And remember who you are to me. And then it ends with this phrase, for you, O Lord, have done it as, you, uh, done as it pleased you. This is a great statement, but it doesn't come from the people of God. It comes from the sailor. The sailor is the one declaring the sovereignty of God, his will over the sea and over their lives in this moment. And folks, pray to God. This is, this is not a direct application of this text, but pray to God that the nations will fear the Lord that the nations will come to faith through even this crisis, even this challenge and trial. 
and know the Lord, but not because a prophet or the people of God were running from God, but because the people of God stood up and declared the goodness and the glory and the sovereignty of God and lived as the people of God in the world amongst the gods of this world. God reminds Israel of his sovereignty and his providence as the creator of all things. And he reminds them of their covenantal relationship to him as their Lord. Jonah leads with his nationality, exposing his belief in his superiority over non-Hebrews. And this is where the church has become self-righteous. Instead of I'm a sinner saved by grace, somehow we think contrary to the song we sang that i've earned it or i've deserved it or there's something special about me and we need to hear the message of grace we are children of god merely by the grace of god there is nothing beautiful that god saw in us that caused him to choose us there is nothing you can do to win that favor, to earn that favor, or to, to say to God, now that you're a, G, a follower of Jesus, you made the right choice, Lord. God calls Israel to repentance and faith. Folks, this is, this is the gospel. Do you see God confronting sin? Do you see God through the sailors? And through Jonah reminding Israel of who he is and who they are to him. And now God calls them to repentance. Look at some things in the text. Number one, the question, what have you done? Folks, God doesn't just want Jonah to ask that question. He wants the nation of Israel to ask that question. What have you done? Stop, pause, listen to the Holy Spirit. Where have we followed the gods of this world instead of the God of heaven who made the land and the sea? Where have we started to worship the created thing instead of the creator who is blessed forever? Where have we turned money and power and position and success into the gods of our lives and failed to love our neighbor? failed to love our families, failed to love our children. You're stuck at home with them right now. Turn off your phones. Play some games. Pray with them. Your children are afraid. Pray with them. Lead them to the God that you know. We need to hear these questions as well. The next question is interesting. The sailors ask it, what shall we do to you? And you would expect God to ask that of Israel. He's asking Israel, what have you done? Israel knows what they've done. They're idolatrous. They've run from the Lord. What shall I do to you? What should be God's response? It's atonement. If you look at the text, but I love the text. It's so, it's so subtle, but it's there. When the sailors find out what Jonah has done and what Jonah thinks they should do to him, you know what they do? They row harder. 
Maybe if I just try harder. Maybe if I just put more elbow grease into this. Maybe if I work harder, I'll be spared from God's wrath. I'll be spared from this storm. No, God's answer is substitution. God's answer is sacrifice. But Jonah's just a picture for us. Jonah's just a type. And I'll tell you how, how I know that. What does the text say about Jonah? The sailors say, don't hold the blood of this innocent man against us. Does anybody in this room think Jonah was an innocent man? Jonah's already confessed. He's not innocent. In fact, he's the reason this has happened. Why is that in the text? Atonement is not something that's new to Israel. They made sacrifices every day for their sins. What is new is a Hebrew would die for the Gentiles. And they had no idea Jonah would be spared. They had no clue that Jonah would be spared. They fully expected when they threw him over, he was going to die in the storm. A Hebrew would be sacrificed for Gentiles. Gentiles would repent and worship Israel's Lord. This is all new. Innocent blood would be shed. And that innocent blood is not Jonah's. When Jesus, which we're going to talk about on Easter morning, when Jesus says the only sign you will get is the sign of Jonah, it is the sacrifice of Jonah for the safety of the Gentile sailors. And it is the three days in the grave and then resurrected. And we'll look at that when we come on Easter morning. But you see what God is doing? He's challenging Israel to respond to Him like the sailors are responding. Who's responsible? Who's responsible? I am. I am a sinner. If you read Romans 1, 2, and 3, Paul goes after this same national identity. He goes after this same assumption that because I am a child of God, I am without sin. What does God want to hear from us? I am responsible. I am a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God. God, all I have to do is all I have to offer you is my sin and to ask you for mercy. Look to the Lord to atone for your sin through his chosen servant, Jesus Christ. Look to God and orient your life around this grace. This is what God is saying to Israel. They're already his people, but he's calling them to repentance and faith. Folks, I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus. Children, students, I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. The gods of this world are pulling on you and pulling you away from the truth. And the fundamental truth is that we're sinners in need of grace, in need of God's sacrifice on our behalf. Wherever you are in that walk, consider 
do you really want to keep rowing harder? Is that even going to get you to the shoreline? Now what's amazing in the text is that the sailors made it to shore and offered sacrifices. But only after they had gotten rid of Jonah. Only after they had sacrificed him. Some applications. There certainly is correction going on in this text. God is addressing the sins of Israel. And so some of your study questions specifically address what's it like to go through correction. Now, I do not want to make an application to our current situation and assume that this is God's discipline or correction. Uh, I think for us, everything works towards that goal. So we should say, yes, God is, God is challenging some things in my heart, being revealed by how I respond to this crisis, uh, to this coronavirus. And so your study questions take you to Hebrews chapter 12 so that you can kind of walk through and think, what is God up to uh, in my life right now? And how is he using this to confront my idolatry and to bear out his holiness in my life? But do you believe he's a loving father, that he's, as we sing often, a good, good father? Can you receive that correction? Because if the correction comes and we react, God, what are you doing? Don't you know I'm in control of my life? I have a wonderful plan for my life and you're not following it? Then what we're saying is, I'm an image user, not an image bearer. I'm on par with God. I have the right to question God's wisdom instead of receiving his correction. Secondly, how is God calling you to himself? How is he calling you to repentance and faith? There's nothing like a global pandemic to challenge our assumptions, to challenge our idolatry. To cre- Listen, it creates fear. And, and then what do you do with the fear? Do you pray until the peace of God comes? Or do you run around and hoard toilet paper? I mean, you need toilet paper. I get it. I've got a family of five right now. One's in the military. Thank God the military is feeding that boy and providing that boy with toilet paper. But I still got five at home. So I get it. You need supplies. But how is this, even this pandemic, this creating fear, what are you doing with that fear? Do you hear the voice of God say, remember who I am and remember who you are to me? Because that's what he's saying to his sinful people who have left him for, idol, for idols. We're not out worshiping idols. God loves us. Can you receive his correction? And can you say, Lord, call me to faith and repentance. Help me to respond appropriately. How does God deal with our sin? And this is going to reveal your view of God. Is he angry? Is he mean? Does he love you? In Hebrews uh, chapter 12, God is is adamant. I'm not doing this because I'm mad at you. I'm doing this so that you can share in my holiness. God wants something for you. How is he dealing with it? What is he confronting? Uh, John Miller uh, of uh, what what used to be, uh, what what is now Surge uh, Mission Agency, uh, the writer of Sonship and, and several other books, 
uh, reminds us that repentance is a lifestyle. It's not something I did once. It's something I continue to do as God reveals the idolatry of my heart and I, I turn from that in faith to Him. So how is God dealing with our sin? How is He confronting it? And how are you responding? And then finally, how is Jesus better than Jonah? Well, there's many ways I think we can discuss, but the, the obvious one is that Jesus is the innocent blood. Jonah wasn't. Jesus is. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was sacrificed for you in your place, the righteous for the unrighteous. Receive God's gift to you by faith and be reconciled to God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the time in your word.